0: following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. How frightening is it to know that this didn't just happen to you, it happens all the time?
3: It does happen all the time. You know, I'm a member of several advocate groups across the country. And almost every day I'll get a notification about someone else that's been
0: exonerated. You're listening to David Cam, whose story you heard in episode one, talking about being wrongfully convicted for the murder of his family.
3: I've met people from all over the country, and men and women and black and white. When we come together, we're all just one big group of folks that got really screwed over by the system. There's nearly 3,000 people now on the national exoneree list, of which I'm a member. Those 3,000 people are just the people who were fortunate enough to have someone look at their case. A lot of people in prison, that are innocent. There's just no means for them to prove their innocence because the evidence just doesn't exist. There's no DNA, you can't statements or witnesses. It's an alarming number.
0: How many of those do you think were put away based on, at least in part, expert testimony?
3: You know, honestly, I I have no way of of knowing that. But you know, we know with like odontology, uh, arson investigation is one shouldn't have been allowed in 30 years ago. It still shouldn't be allowed in today. But no one has the balls or the courage to stand up and say, you know, no, this is not coming in. I looked him dead in the eye and I said, your expert's wrong, you need to get another expert.
2: You have these sciences that are labeled forensic science, but they're theories, they're myths.
4: The trial is dog and pony show. All these people heard was lies.
2: I was horrified. There's nothing a
5: judge can do. There are no standards. There are no qualifications.
6: There is no oversight. Simply because somebody is accepted as an expert doesn't necessarily mean that they know what they're talking about. From Discovery Plus, ID and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Experts on Trial, a seven part series that investigates a crisis in the American court system that will leave you hoping you're never accused of a crime that an expert says you committed. Our investigation into expert witnesses has led Billy and I to have serious doubts about the way forensic science is portrayed in the courts, and even about the very validity of some of the sciences themselves. It's hard to believe, but in courtrooms around the country, unscientific forensics are routinely debated in front of juries.
0: In our last episode, we explored the supposed science of bite-mark analysis through the story of Bill Richards. Towards the end of that story, California Innocence Project lawyer Raquel Cohen said something that caught our attention.
2: And then if you look at women, 75% of women were wrongfully convicted and there was no crime. This is a glaring statistic.
6: How could so many women be going to prison for crimes that didn't even occur? We asked Raquel how faulty forensic testimony could lead to something like that and she immediately launched into a harrowing tale of a woman named Joanne Parks. The evening of April 9th, 1989. Bell, California. 23-year-old waitress, Joanne Parks, is home alone with her three young children. Her husband, Ronald, works nights at a local ice cream factory.
2: Joanne Parks, she's sleeping, it's around midnight. Her house is split up. It was a converted two-car garage. Three bedroom, one bath with a kitchen and a living room, 526 square feet. Her room was on one side of the house and then it was separated by the kitchen and then her kids were on the other side of the house. In the middle of the night, she hears screaming. She opens her bedroom door, and it was just fire and smoke.
6: Joanne awakens to a raging inferno and really only has one exit, the front door next to her bedroom. She scrambles outside and frantically runs to the neighbor's house for help.
2: A lot of people try to get into the house and help the children, but by the time that happens, the house is fully engulfed. It's It's in a fully involved state and there's fire going out of windows, windows are just breaking the kids, they stood no chance surviving that fire
0: tragically all three of Joanne's children would perish in the blaze her two daughters Jessica and Roanne were found together in their room Joanne's four year old son Ronnie was discovered alone in his bedroom closet
6: What did the fire investigators initially say when they went into Joanne's house?
2: So the investigators came in and originally they were like, this was an accident. Like they found, um, there were burn patterns. They were like, oh, this is obviously a drop down fire, they would say. So something falls from the ceiling and it hits the floor. It creates a pattern that looks like origin because it started a new fire in that area. Uh, And then the same investigator said, wait, I know this girl.
0: fire investigators recognized Joanne. She and her husband's first home had burned down only one year earlier.
2: She had an electrical fire in 1988 in the city of Linwood, and that was deemed accidental. It was an air conditioning unit that failed because they were part of the church. The church came together and helped them get on their feet.
0: The fact that this is the second time Joanne has had a major house fire suddenly cast her current situation in a much less forgiving light.
2: Once the fire investigators got that piece of information, the same evidence that was accidental became evidence of arson.
0: Based on the findings of arson investigators, only days later, the police would arrest Joanne Parks and charge her with first-degree murder.
6: What was the prosecution's theory? Why did they think Joanne did this?
2: They said that she wanted to make her husband happy by making a quick dollar um, so she killed her kids guessing that they would get a bunch of money and donations i do believe if ronald parks her husband had been home during the fire if he didn't have a solid alibi they would have pinned it on him but because they couldn't find an electrical cause they said whoever started the fire had to be home and since joanne was home they went after her
6: How unlucky, though, for two accidental fires in two years.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're also dealing with somebody who is poor, who is living in run-down, converted two-car garages, who is buying appliances from garage sales in the 80s, who, um, you know, isn't living, who has a husband who was an electrician who had played with wires because he was an electrician in the Army. So, yeah, very unlucky.
0: A little over three and a half years after the fire at her home, Joanne Parks would stand trial for the murder of her three kids. If convicted, she would face the death penalty.
2: The monster they painted her as at trial just doesn't stand with who she is as a person and what the case really does show. Evidence that was used against Joanne were one that there were two areas of origin, meaning there was one fire they said started in the living room. The second fire, they said, started where the girls were sleeping by the foot of the bed. When you have two areas of origin, it often can indicate arson. Also, their little her little boy was found in a closet and in his bedroom. The prosecution's experts said that Joanne actually locked her child in the closet, then started the fires. Our argument is he was four years old, and kids often hide in closets. Those are the main pieces of evidence they used against her. What was the result of that trial and her sentence? Guilty, three counts of murder, um, and she was put up for the death penalty. The jury eventually gave her life without the possibility of parole.
6: Almost 30 years ago, Joanne Parks went to prison for the rest of her life, based on the expert testimony of arson investigators. So of course, we want to know, is an arson investigation hampered by problems in the same way that we've already seen with blood evidence or bite marks?
2: It turned out to be worse than we thought. Before 1992, fire investigators had no training and no idea of what was myth and what was reality. Today, with what we know about ventilation patterns and what we know about flashover, It is more likely that there was a single area of origin in the fire. We believe it was the television that started the fire. It was a television that was known to cause fires at that time, um, but there was no way to investigate it because they threw it away.
6: So what exactly was the method to investigate arson back then?
2: arson cases, they weren't, they didn't have a method. It was just the method that your superior taught you to use. When you were trained to be a fire investigator, just somebody that was senior to you just was like, well, this is how we do it. Then it started to get studied and they realized that there were problems.
0: Much of Joanne's alleged guilt hinged on the fact that the fire in her home started in two different places at the same time. It was a common diagnosis for arson until fire scientists like John Lentini came along. We wanted to understand how fire science evolved. So we reached out to John, the man who transformed the field.
4: How did he get into arson specifically? I graduated from college with a, a degree in the sciences, majored in chemistry. And I got hired at the Georgia Crime Laboratory and they tried to teach me microscopic hair comparison. And after six weeks, I went to the supervisor and I said, you know, this is okay if I'm saying these hairs are not the same, but I don't feel real comfortable with saying these hairs came from the same person. And they said, well, okay, now you're not gonna be a, a great expert witness if, you, if you're not comfortable. Let's get you into something else. And they showed me the arson lab and it was real straightforward classical chemistry.
0: John began his career analyzing fire debris and working for the prosecution at arson trials to support their investigative theories. Until one day, when a case revealed to him just how little was understood about the way fires burned. Particularly, a dynamic known as flashover.
6: Flashover refers to when a fire spreads very rapidly over a gap because of intense heat.
0: Tell me about the moment you discovered that many arson
4: investigators didn't really know what they were doing. I was mainly working suspicious fires. But in 1991, I got called by the prosecutor to a fire that killed six people. And they were, you know, convinced it was arson. And there was a house two doors down that was uh, the same floor plan and capable of being the venue for a test fire. When we ran this test fire, we had predicted 15 to 20 minutes before the living room would become fully engulfed as a result of flashover. The living room became fully engulfed somewhere around three and a half minutes after we lit it. It gave me a huge pause. Bear in mind, I'm working for the prosecutor. And I looked at him and said, you know what, I can't do this anymore.
6: John realized that common misconceptions about fire dynamics, like flashover, were leading investigators to misdiagnose accidental fires as arson. He would figure out just how bad the situation was only months later, when he examined the remains of one of the largest accidental fires in California's history.
4: Also in 1991, there was a huge fire in Oakland, California, that uh, took out 3,000 homes. Everybody looking at this fire said, oh, what a horrible tragedy. I said, yeah, but what an opportunity to study accidental fires. We know they were not intentionally set. And we went into these homes and looked for evidence of arson. And we had initially planned to look at a 100, but um, by the time we got to 50, uh, the the results were so uniform that we knew we could we could stop it because we found evidence of arson in like 49 of the 50 homes
6: john realized that if the current investigative techniques were used on these accidental fires nearly all of them would have been incorrectly identified as arson
4: that that just confirmed that a lot of the artifacts that people said indicated an intentionally set fire were not valid. Published it in a peer-reviewed journal, and you know the fire investigation community went nuts. They say you're you're taking away our tools, and you know my response was your tools are broken.
0: John Lentini would spend the better part of three decades reforming both the science of fire itself and the manner at which fires are investigated. His work would take what was originally an instinctive investigative approach and transform it into a forensic science with real facts and verifiable data. How did you go about
4: reforming the field of fire science? I did experiments because that's that's how science works. You do experiments. And the problem was that the, the average fire investigator used to be a fireman who didn't even go to college had no science training, and I said, show me the data. A lot of fire investigators said, I'm not a scientist. Well, if you're not a scientist, find another line of work, pal.
6: We know a lot more about arson today than we did back when Joanne Parks went to prison. But that's exactly what makes her case so revealing. Because incredibly, even after a forensic discipline like fire science is improved so dramatically, people like Joanne Parks
0: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too.
7: Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story, long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Spring is officially in bloom here in the Northern Hemisphere, and with a fresh season underway, you might be seeking your own transformation. For some, that means a new approach to weight loss or nutrition. Noom has a unique approach. Noom is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. It's built to meet you where you are because Noom understands that no two people are the same. Noom stands out to me because it offers a holistic approach to well-being. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself you should. What's more, Noom believes in nourishing rather than restricting. Noom can help you lose weight while still enjoying your favorite foods because this approach is about eating well and treating your body right. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N N-O-O-M O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
6: Over 20 years after Joanne Parks went to prison, fire scientist John Lentini began to look back at old arson cases and apply his scientific knowledge to debunk wrongful convictions. In 2011, he came upon Joanne's case.
4: The evidence in the Parks case was so confusing. And the hypothesis put forward by the state's people, it was just, you know, I, I couldn't tell what they thought. Uh, one time they say, well, she tried to stage an electrical fire, but if you're going to stage an electrical fire, you definitely don't want to light the fire in more than one place. I, I think the whole case revolves around the, um, the boy in the closet. If, if Joanne locked her son in the closet, she did it even though there's evidence that, you know, there wasn't a fire there.
0: John would determine the fire most likely started in Joanne's living room and spread to the bedrooms on the other side of the house due to flashover. He would hand over his findings to the California Innocence Project.
2: John Lentini, he realized that there were problems, and he looked at Joanne Parks' case and wrote a report, and that kind of started us moving forward and getting a stronger case for her.
0: Five years later, the Los Angeles Superior Court would finally grant Joanne Parks an evidentiary hearing to examine the science behind her conviction. She would have an opportunity for release after 24 years in prison. At the hearing, Innocence Project experts testify on Joanne's behalf, pointing to the dramatic evidences in the science of fire dynamics. By their estimation, the fire that killed Joanne's children was merely a horrible accident caused, most likely, by a spark from an old television.
2: It is more likely that there was a single area of origin in the fire. And we were able to prove this Our expert did computer modeling to show that the prosecution's theory that there were two areas of origin is not supported or corroborated by the physical evidence.
6: Unfortunately for Joanne, the prosecution would call their own expert witnesses, and they wouldn't concede the point. What did the prosecution experts say at the evidentiary hearing?
2: The prosecution's expert testified that a burn pattern definitively meant an origin pattern which is speaking way above and beyond what the science allows. But it was still a battle of the experts. And because it was a battle of the experts, the judge didn't feel comfortable saying that the false evidence was material enough to reverse the conviction. So in post-conviction habeas work, the petitioner, so us, or Joanne Parks, bears the burden of proof.
0: In 2016, the judge denies Joanne Park's petition for release. She heads back to prison to serve out the remainder of her life sentence, which includes no possibility of parole.
6: Was there a reason that the judge cited to deny this?
2: He upheld the verdict because the judges kind of left there going, we've got these two people that seem pretty credible. They have great backgrounds. So I, I, I'm just gonna walk away from this.
6: An arson panel declared her case to be based on junk science, and yet the judge still upheld the verdict. How do you explain that?
2: It says that we have a long way to go in educating our judges and educating our all of our trier of facts. It really is disheartening to know that you can get an expert to get up and say something that is not supported by the science anymore. I would have put my life savings on that he was going to rule favorably. So when we were at a bar enjoying happy hour and that decision came through on my phone that they denied it, I absolutely broke down. Um, It was, I feel like I'm gonna cry now just talking about it. It was just devastating.
6: This is a new wrinkle in our investigation into expert testimony. Unlike the widely discredited forensic discipline of bite marks, fire science nowadays has some real scientific backing. We can actually point to studies that demonstrate that someone like Joanne Parks is exceedingly likely to be innocent, but that apparently still isn't enough.
0: Once you're convicted in a court of law, even if it's by faulty forensics, the burden of proof is now on you and the supposed experts that come to argue to keep you behind bars aren't required to use the most up-to-date science. This is yet another layer of injustice in a criminal process that prides itself on the idea of innocent until proven guilty.
6: It gets even worse, because you might be tempted to think that this is just a historical issue and that reformed forensic sciences like arson no longer lead to such travesties of justice in 2021. But you'd be wrong. How often are they getting it right today?
4: I think fire investigation, unlike a lot of forensic sciences, uh, has, has progressed a lot. But about a quarter of the time, I find that the state's investigators are still using the old methods. Uh, they still don't understand that the origin they determined might not be accurate. They don't like to say, I don't know, because it makes them look bad.
2: There's been a few studies done and the best number that they've gotten in being able to accurately identify a burn pattern has been uh, 75%. So that means one in four experts in a very, in in a complex fire are getting it wrong. I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna go to prison for the rest of my life or even be put to death and there's one in four chance that person is wrong, I think that's a problem.
0: There's another element to these cases that helps explain their persistence, and it's an emotional one. Today, like in decades past, wrongful convictions due to faulty forensic testimony offer occur in cases of tragic accidents, especially when there are children involved. Here's John Lentini again.
4: You know, I've always been of the belief that it's better to let 10 guilty guys go than to convict one innocent person. People are not gonna have respect for the law if you punish innocent people, but we do. And a lot of times it's because of cases like the Parkes case, the children died. Somebody's gotta pay for that. And you know, society demands justice. But shaken baby is almost exactly parallel to arson investigation.
6: John Lentini is referring to shaken baby syndrome a common description for serious brain injuries that result from forcefully shaking an infant or toddler.
0: We reached out to attorney Catherine Bonagitti, an expert on shaken baby syndrome, to hear more.
6: So what is shaken baby syndrome?
5: Shaken baby syndrome all began as as a hypothesis um, of a particular um, neurosurgeon who, who they were studying um, some cases where children had presented with very serious brain injuries, and they were trying to figure out what was causing this. And they were not aware that the children had suffered any trauma. One physician theorized that it could be essentially something akin to whiplash. And so this hypothesis developed, perhaps the children were shaken. And then the hypothesis just kind of snowballed into a belief. They would essentially diagnose
6: them as having been abused
5: and victims of shaken baby syndrome.
6: According to Catherine, a supposed triad of symptoms in severely injured infants would lead doctors to routinely diagnose this alleged syndrome. Unfortunately, it just wasn't true.
0: Head injuries from accidental falls were often the real cause of many shaken baby cases. And apparently, a lot of the symptoms from these injuries would take days to manifest. When they did, whomever was tasked with watching the baby at that time would then be charged with a crime.
5: I think sometimes the reason it can affect women a a lot, frankly, is because sometimes it's caretakers that get charged with this either babysitters or daycare workers. Some of them were aunts, uh, family members, and others were the parents themselves.
6: This is what Raquel was referring to in the beginning of this episode, when she told us that 75% of exonerated women were convicted for a crime that didn't even happen.
5: Whoever was with the child at the time the child collapsed became the immediate suspect. And when doctors come in and testify at trial about this, it was very, very persuasive to jurors. They weren't saying things like, you know, this most likely is the result of abuse. Quite to the contrary, they were saying, this child was definitely, without question, unequivocally abused. No one here is saying that children don't get abused. The scientific underpinnings of the shaken baby syndrome
6: have uh, pretty much been eviscerated. Shaken baby syndrome seems to combine the worst aspects of the forensic disciplines of both bite marks and arson. It's discredited. It leads to people, mostly women, going to prison when there wasn't even a crime. And it still persists today.
5: I'm not saying this happens every day, right and left, but it does happen. The experts are starting to slowly change on that, but not all of them are, much like cases of arson. The problem isn't solved.
0: In 2020, After decades behind bars, Joanne Parks' lawyers would make one more desperate attempt to get her released from prison.
2: When we lost the evidentiary hearing in 2018, unfortunately, Joanne Parks, she was life without the possibility of parole, so she was still going to die in prison. But we asked the governor to commute her sentence.
6: Nearly 30 years after she went to prison, the California Innocence Project lawyers petitioned Governor Gavin Newsom for clemency in Joanne's case. In March of 2020, they would await the governor's decision. What is it like to be fighting for a client who you know with almost certainty is innocent and has been sitting in jail based on faulty science testimony?
2: It's the hardest part of our job, right? We have to um, accept that we may never get that person out of prison. When I was representing Joanne, it was, I win or she dies in prison. And I went to a lot of therapy for that, still do. Um, It's it's something that keeps you up at night. I care about her so deeply. If we lose, she's in there three more years. COVID is running through the prisons. She has asthma and high blood pressure. I don't know if she's ever going to see the light of day.
0: In the spring of 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom would commute the sentence of Joanne Parks, after 29 years in prison. She was never fully exonerated for the murder of her children. She was simply released by the parole board on January 12th, 2021.
6: What do you think it was that Governor Newsom saw which prompted him
2: to let Joanne out of prison? Well, on the papers, so on the commutation, it would say they, that he saw somebody who was rehabilitated and had made great efforts to better herself. Um, what I want to believe he saw was that there was a potential innocent person sitting in prison based on junk science. Um, and I don't think if he really thought she killed her three children in such a heinous way that he would commute her. But now that she's out, I'm still fighting to get her convictional return.
0: We had a look at the commutation itself. It spends about three paragraphs talking about all the good works that Joanne has done since being incarcerated. But then it ends with the note. This act of clemency for Miss Parks does not minimize or forgive her conduct or the harm it caused. It does recognize the work she has done since to transform herself.
6: All right, so through the course of everything we've studied here, we started with David Cam. And that was a tragic nightmare for him. And one case after the next, we keep seeing how experts who aren't qualified keep getting on the stand. And it just keeps getting worse. Like, I don't know how it can get worse. And I don't know what to make of this.
0: Yeah. And with cases like Joanne Parks, we're now at a place where we see how someone can basically be accused of a crime that never actually even happened. And then they can be convicted by untested forensics for that crime. And even decades after that untested field has been transformed into a science, the untested forensics can still be used to keep them in prison.
6: Yeah, and I don't think anyone's expecting our justice system to be flawless, but what we've heard so far has demonstrated that there are some serious, very concerning issues within our justice system when it comes to experts testifying.
0: So the next question, I guess, is, why does this keep happening? And what are the motivations and incentives that are keeping it in place?
6: And what's really scary is that there really isn't a way to quantify just how bad all of this is, as far as the quote unquote science that is being taken as fact within our justice system. We plan to explore the answer to those questions in the next two episodes of this podcast, but a conversation we had with Raquel Cohen, I think leads us in the right direction. You've touched on this to various degrees, but can you summarize the difficulty in overturning a conviction that is based on faulty science?
2: The difficulties with forensic science is one, knowing what you're looking for. I mean, I have a little bit of forensic science background, but I'm a lawyer. When it comes to math and science, like that's outside my realm. So getting to know the subject area enough is difficult in itself. When I first got the case, I was like, what is this? It's like another language. I realized in order to properly and effectively advocate for her, I had to become like a mini expert in the field. And you'd have to really cross-examine an expert witness thoroughly to make the jury understand that this person may not be qualified. Yeah, and if you get an expert who is well-versed enough to dodge that specific question, who is good enough on the stand, there's just no way to really know. I've been on the record, and I'll say it again, that I think that there are some experts paid an astronomical amount of money to over-testify and oversimplify the science. You get a likable person on the stand saying things that aren't true, and the trier of fact doesn't know what to do with that.
0: There's two things that Raquel brought up here, and they both involve money. For one, lawyers have to be really well-versed in these forensic sciences to navigate the court system. Joanne Parks was lucky to have expert lawyers from the Innocence Project on her side, but there's no way she could have afforded such quality attorneys on her own, nor can a whole lot of people. Then there's the money experts get paid themselves. It's something we haven't explored yet, But that has to lead to unconscious bias at best. Especially when they are debating these forensic sciences that are clearly often very subjective.
6: For us, the problem with experts became more and more glaring with every new person we interviewed. Until we met a scientist who threw everything we thought we knew into disarray.
0: Next on Unraveled, Experts on Trial.
5: There have been some famous cases where people have mistaken one person's fingerprint for another person's fingerprint.
3: Well, I would say that forensic sciences should be questionable or not perfect. I'm sorry, you just can't answer every question. And when you've got some magician from A to Z filling every blank, that's just not possible. I think the limitations that the public should understand is that forensic science doesn't prove guilt or innocence that just provides evidence to the courts, how those facts are used in court can definitely affect somebody's livelihood. So absolutely, the stakes are high.
0: Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Viaggio Messina, and Jeff Koontz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. Executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing by Mike Gattinella. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimbo Libraries. Make sure to check for episode six next week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening and for your
3: support.